Good evening and welcome to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA players, legends, and top instructors go to share their insights and playing lessons. Join Chris every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time as he talks with the greats of the game. Tonight's show is sponsored by the French Lick Resort, Ben Hogan Golf, the PGA Tour Superstore, the Salt Creek Golf Retreat, TaylorMade Golf, the Bobby Jones Apparel Company, and Super Speed Golf. Now here's your host... Chris Mascaro. Good evening, folks, and thank you for coming back and joining me again this week on Next on the T. I'm your host, Chris Mascaro, and tonight, boy, do we have a lot to talk about, right? Tiger back in the winner's circle. Justin Rose wins the Tour Championship. It's Ryder Cup week. Tiger, you know, rightly proclaims himself to be on the Mount Rushmore of golf, which we'll talk about a lot tonight. So, yeah, there are a few things to talk about this week going on on the PGA Tour and in and around the world of golf. And and I'm going to do it tonight with three of the best instructors in the game. First up with me tonight is going to be Eric Johnson. And Eric has been an outstanding guest over the years. One of my favorite people on the planet, let, let alone guests here on the show. Eric is annually named one of the top 100 instructors in the game. Plus, his insights into what's going on around the game of golf are simply outstanding. So we'll talk about all of the things I mentioned a moment ago, plus maybe get a lesson or two and and maybe even sneak in a question about our Steelers. So looking forward to having Eric with me here in just a few minutes. Following him, and speaking of some of my favorite people and guests here on the show, Golf Academy lead instructor Rob Strano will be back with me. So we'll Continue the conversation, like I mentioned, about all the topics that, uh, up there at the top. Plus, we'll get some strand note playing notes around really what I want to focus on my time with Rob is, is, is on putting, right? We're lining up putts, having confidence on the green, reading the green, all of those sorts of things. So looking forward to having Rob back on the show a little bit later on in this half hour. And then I'll round out tonight's show with a visit from Paul Ramey. And uh, Paul is the director of golf and club manager at Bulls Ridge Golf Club up in Kent, Connecticut. Paul and Eric actually were assistant pros together at Oakmont. So we're going to talk about the favorite stories about each of them to each of them, right? Eric, what's, you know, his favorite story about Paul? Paul, what's you know, your favorite story about Eric? Looking forward to hearing both of those perspectives. And uh, and Paul's son, Hunter, has uh, followed in his dad's footsteps playing golf at Seton Hall. So we'll talk a little bit about that. I wonder from Paul, what's what's more stressful when you're playing an event for yourself or you're following your son who's in a tournament? I wonder which one is more stressful. We'll find out what Paul thinks about that. And a whole lot more. He'll be with me about 45 minutes from now. So a lot more great stories and playing lessons coming your way tonight on this edition of Next on the Tee. Thank you so much for tuning in and taking the journey with me over the next hour or so. But before we get started, first, I want to wish my father a very happy 75th birthday. You know, I refer to on this show and on our on the football side, Thursday Night Tailgate, I refer to some of the athletes and some of the players as my heroes or idols when I was growing up. But my main idol were or my main idols, I should say, were my parents, both tremendous role models. My father always gave me someone to model my actions and behaviors by, instilled a great work ethic in me, taught me the right way and the wrong way to go about things and how to treat people, how to show respect for others and have good manners. So I love you, Dad. It's uh, It was great being with you over the weekend and celebrating your birthday with our family. But uh, I, I want you to know I'm thinking about you tonight and, uh, and that I love you very much. 
right, I want to remind you about our good friend Matthew Lawrence and his show, Backspin Golf, which airs Sunday mornings from 8 to 9 a.m. Eastern Time. It is my regular Sunday, 8.03 a.m. tea time. It is broadcast on WLXG ESPN Radio AM 1300 up in Lexington, Kentucky. You can stream it live by going online to WLXG.com or do what I did, download the WLXG app. Matthew does a great job, and it's always a great way to start your Sunday morning. His equally fantastic twin brother, Mitchell, also has a great golf show that marries golf and travel. It's called Talking Golf Getaways, which you can find online at golfnewsnet.com or over on Audio Boom or really anywhere you consume your podcast. He and his co-host, Aaron Bunch, travel all over the world, and they let you know about great places to play and even eat while you're there. Again, it's called Talking Golf Getaways, and you can stream it online at golfnewsnet.com or over on Audioboom. And folks, as you know, we are sponsored by the French Lick Resort. Let's hear a word from our good friend, Steve Rondonero, about what they've got going on up there. Play legendary golf at French Lick Resort, the only place in the country where you can play courses by two Hall of Fame designers on the same property. Our Pete Dye and Donald Ross courses offer two very different challenges. Experience them both and save with our Hall of Fame package. Our two historic hotels are unique as well. Cap it off with a fun visit to the French Lick Casino. Check us out online at FrenchLick.com. Bring a group and save even more. Play legendary golf this season at French Lick Resort. Yeah, folks, go online to FrenchLick.com to see for yourself what a wonderful place it is and to book your stay as well. I also want to give a shout-out to our friends at the Ben Hogan Golf Equipment Company. Folks, if you haven't hit Ben Hogan iron since the 80s or 90s, do yourself a favor. Get a demo iron from either their Fort Worth, PTX, or New Edge irons. Go out on the range and compare it to whatever it is you have. All Ben Hogan irons and wedges are handcrafted one at a time in their Fort Worth, Texas factory. No mass production, no shortcuts. Now you can order custom-made irons, wedges, hybrids by going online to BenHoganGolf.com, and they're going to build those clubs to your specifications and best of all charge you a fraction of the typical retail price check out their complete line of forged irons wedges utility irons hybrids bags and accessories again by going online to benhogangolf.com we're also proud to be partnering with russ holden and the folks over at caddy for a cure one of the most unique opportunities in the world of professional golf is available to you through caddy for a cure you're going to get to spend a day inside the ropes with one of the world's best players as their caddy. Fantastic way to have the time of your life while supporting our wounded service members and Fanconi anemia. You're going to get to walk side by side with your tour player experiencing professional golf as an insider. In addition to the amazing experience you're going to have, you're going to get a fantastic gift package from Caddy for a Cure, which includes Under Armour logo apparel and an eyewear package, a tour grade caddy bib suitable for autographs and framing, a 10-cup ball marking gift, chef's cut real jerky, and professional photographs from your day. Go online to caddyforacure.com. That's C-A-D-D-Y-F-O-R-A-C-U-R-E, caddyforacure.com, to learn more. All right, now back with me and making his uh, actually 12th appearance here on on uh, next on the T is my good friend Eric Johnson. Let me remind you about Eric's background. Played his college golf and was a four-year letterman at Mississippi State from 1992 to 1995. Helped them win back-to-back Kroger intercollegiate titles in 94 and 95. Golf Magazine has named Eric a top 100 instructor every year since 2011. And he was also recognized by Golf Digest as a top 40 under 40 teacher. He's a three-time Tri-State PGA Teacher of the Year, 
a two-time Horton Smith Award winner for his contributions to education. He's played out on the Canadian Tour, the Sunshine Tour, and the Golden Bear Tour. Eric was the director of instruction at Oakmont Country Club for many years, and he is now the director of instruction over at Nemecolin Woodlands Resort, which looks like an absolutely fantastic place up in Farmington, Pennsylvania, which is a little southeast of Pittsburgh near the West Virginia border. And not only is Eric one of my favorite guests, he is really one of my favorite people on the planet. And I'm honored he's back with me again tonight here on Next on the Sea. Hey, how are you, my friend? Hey, Chris. Uh, thank you very much. I, again, you're the most prepared and most enjoyable host that I've ever talked to in the game and, and on these shows. And so thank you for that wonderful introduction. I, I really appreciate it, buddy. Thank you. Absolutely, Eric. So, Eric, you know, let's talk a little bit tonight about Tiger Woods and uh, winning for the first time in five years, something that many of us thought would never happen again. So your thoughts on what you saw from Tiger over the weekend, and does this make him the man to beat now heading into 2019? Well, you know, I mean, after 14 surgeries, all the, you know, I mean, we can say it publicly, there's public embarrassment, there was the DUI, there was... There was a yips. There was a ton of things to overcome there. And to think that he has done that and over, overcome such great adversity, uh, my hat's off to him. Um, I've said for a long time, I wasn't sure that he would win again because I never thought the, you know, the so-called, uh, quote unquote comebacks were real comebacks. They didn't look like they were comebacks. They looked like he was like dabbling and he was going to go out and play a little bit and, and but this one looks totally different. I mean, he looks healthy. His golf swing looks great. Um, now, being an instructor, um, that's a that's an interesting one for me because personally, I think that he listened to a lot of really smart guys uh, that didn't let him free up and play golf. And now I think with the void of the instruction and the over instruction, so to speak. Uh, I think he's getting back to his inner golf DNA. I, I really do. I mean, I think that at the end of the day, we all, you know, if you look at our swings from when we were a kid to now, I mean, they don't really change that much. I mean, they change a little bit, but instinctually there's something in all of us. And when you take a tiger that, you know, when we think back of the masters, uh, when he won the first time, I mean, and oh, you know, I mean, he, he moved off the ball a lot and then, he was taught well in 97, we, you know, and then he went through, you know, the Harmon years and where I thought he was just unbeatable and then went to Haney and then went to, you know, Sean Foley and Chris Como. And, and I think they got him a little more centered and I don't think they gave him enough time uh, to get back to the ball. And uh, you, you can't take that out of uh, out of a great player like that. So um, what he did there was unbelievable. Um Sustainable? I don't know. I mean, he, he has never ceased to amaze me yet. I never seem to bet against him because he does stuff like he did, you know, at the Tour Championship. Unbelievable performance. So, Eric, I don't know if you saw the video that was put out on Twitter today by the PGA of America, but they asked him, it's a video of him, asked him who should be on the Mount Rushmore of golf. And he said, Sneed, <laughs> Jones, <laughs> Nicholas, and me. Is he right? <laughs> oh my, uh, Mr. Humble Pie, there. Um, <laughs> I wow. I, you know, I guess if I had to rank it, um, 
maybe from a historical perspective, I might say Sneed, Nicholas, Jones, Palmer. Uh, but you know, maybe we'll be adding more to Mount Rushmore. You know, maybe Trump can get his name up there too. I don't know. Or say, I don't know. Yeah, make America great again. I don't know. Uh, sorry about that. Um, but I, I, you know, I mean, 80 wins, 14 majors. He probably has a pretty good, you know, I, I'm going to go with it. I, I think he should be up there. I really do. I, um, uh, I'm going with him. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I would Maybe certainly not argue. Maybe that's the most humble thing he's ever said, but you know, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would not. I wouldn't argue. Tiger is the one that wouldn't be up there. And, and again, you know, I, I'm a huge Sam Snead fan. I love, you know, all the things that he achieved over the course of his career: the 82 wins, seven majors, uh, and the longevity that he had, still competing in top, you know, top tens in PGA's right. in his 60s. That's how great he was. But you know, I might. Yeah probably the greatest international player of all time and 170 plus wins and nine majors. I, I might go Gary player there, but anyway, curious also to get your thought, Eric, you know, I thought we were in for one of the duels of the ages, or at least it could have been on Sunday with, with Tiger and Rory being in the final group of the tour championship, but Rory goes out and he bogeys four, five, eight, he doubles seven and, you know, really was never a factor. Rose never really mounted a charge. So, your thoughts when you when you look at those two guys and now you're now you're kind of going back in time to to the great Tiger of years ago certainly five years ago at minimum is is Tiger going to be a guy that sort of makes these guys melt yet again it, again you, now you got the young guns right you got the you know Justin Thomases and the Jordan Spieth and the Ricky Fowlers and all those guys who never you know, sort of half w- wished that they had an opportunity to play against Tiger and again careful what you wish for. But is this, yeah. is this going to be a Tiger where the crowd and his play starts to make guys melt again? Well, I mean, you sure saw it uh, on Sunday. I mean, I couldn't believe Justin Rose and Rory McIlroy. Now, um, Rory McIlroy might be a little bit more understandable than Justin Rose. I mean, uh, but again, when you look back at the back in the days in 2000 and when he won eight, nine times and, and he was just destroying fields and I mean, he, he just, I mean, really destroyed a lot of egos and psyches. You know, I mean, like what he did to Phil and Ernie Els and Steve Stricker and all those guys that played with him. Um, you know, it, and you look back at the, the, the groups that played with him, no one really ever played very good. And you would think that deep down in, you'd be like, man, I want to show this guy that I can do it. But for whatever reason, it seemed like everybody just like choked it away. And I, Hate to use that word, but they just did not come up with their A game. And, um, you know, Justin Rose, I mean, look at his career that he's had, you know, was world number one and, and the way he was playing and then to flounder and Rory, I mean, four or five over and that makes the birdie on the last hole. But, you know, I mean, it was, uh, it was, it was what we used to watch. And I don't think these young guys, quite understand what they ask for. I mean, when they say, oh, I want Tiger, <laughs> well, okay. Uh, well, you just got him, and I don't think anybody liked it other than Tiger and all the fans, you know I mean? Um, uh, so, I, 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 again, I just, I think with all the surgeries, we just don't know. We don't know how his body's going to react. We don't know, you know, there's a lot of questions out there, but, man, that was some performance. Now, I will say this, too. Um, Tiger seems to not be able to close the way he used to. I mean, if you look back at the British Open, 
uh, he stuffs it in there like five, six feet on the last hole and misses it. And uh, Francesco Molinari drains it from like exactly the same spot. And that's the stuff that Tiger would have never done in the past. And you saw a little bit of that coming down the stretch. You made a couple bogeys and, you know, made an incredible up and down on, on 17, uh, which basically scared him the win. No one had bogeyed the 18th hole the whole day. Uh, so, you know, I mean, let alone to make a double. Um, so you knew he was probably going to win then, but, you know, he did kind of flounder coming in a little bit. And I just think that the, uh, younger Tiger might not have done some of that, but you know what? Hey, you got to win. And wins are hard to get. And, you know, when you think wins are hard to get and he's got 80 and 14 majors, that's some quite impressive career. Maybe Mount Rushmore worthy. Maybe it probably is. <laughs> <laughs> so, Eric, let's, let's, you know, extrapolate that a little bit forward and talk about the Ryder Cup. Because when you look yeah. at Tiger's record in the Ryder Cup, 4-1-1 one, and one in singles, but 9-16-1 and one in foursomes and four ball. Why do you think yep. his partners seem to struggle so much when they're paired with him? Well, I think there's a couple things there, Chris. I, I really honestly think that he was such a introvert and never let anyone in his circle before that I don't think the guys knew how to play with him. Like, they they didn't know if he was rooting for him or not. And, I mean, he's got that killer instinct in him. And, quite frankly, that's what I think most of that was. I think they were like – maybe a little intimidated to play with him and a little bit intimidated, like, am I good enough to play with this guy? And and then we saw the, you know, when Hal Sutton put Tiger and, and Phil out, and, you know, I mean, it was just a debacle. I mean, absolute debacle. And uh, because they didn't like each other. And I think that's why you look at the Seve and Olathabal pairing. I mean, they're, they're, they're countrymen. They love each other in death. They, they, will do, they will kill for the other guy. You know, and I, I think that was missing a little bit from, from Tiger. Um, maybe he thought it was a little bit exhibition-ish. I don't know. I think that might have been a statement that maybe he'd want to take back. Um, but I just don't think he was friends enough with some of the guys he was playing with. You know, you look at the successful pairings, and they're all good. They're kind of good pals, you know, and, and they kind of know each other's game. And I know when I'm playing in team events, I pick a guy that, like, he knows I'm going to hit it all over the place, and I'm going to make some putts, and I'm going to make birdies, and I'm going to make bogeys, and, you know, just hang in there with me, and if you give me long enough, we're going to we're gonna win, you know. But, uh, uh, you know, but I, I just honestly think that maybe he wasn't friendly enough with the guys, and maybe that's why his, you know, combination pairings weren't, weren't, that, weren't that special, you know. So if you were Captain Furyk, who would you pair with him? Um, Bryson DeChambeau, I think those two really? have a little, uh, yeah, I think there's, I think those two have played a lot of practice rounds together. I don't know what the whole niche is there. I mean, you saw Tiger looking at the putting thing with Bryson the other day, but they played a lot of parent, they, you know, they play a lot together. Um, I think Phil Mickelson, um, I think those two have a great relationship or a much better relationship now. Uh, I'm not sure I'd put them together. Uh, but I think the golf world would maybe like to see it, but I don't think that that's going to happen. Um, I'd love to see uh, Dustin Johnson and Brooks Kepka. I think they would just flog people. I think it would be not even <laughs> close. Um, I think that, you know, when you look at – and you know what? Phil's been pretty sneaky 
about picking really, really good partners who he wants to play with. If you look at over the past, I mean, like he takes Ricky Fowler. Well, God almighty, I mean, if there's one kid that's ready for that stage, it's Ricky Fowler. And yeah, he's young, whatever, but you know, they won, they won a lot of matches, you know, and, uh, I think it's, uh, interesting to see the, uh, you know, I think it would be interesting to see Ricky and, and, and Jordan Spieth, uh, or maybe like, uh, Justin Thomas and a Jordan Spieth, you know, good friends. Mm-hmm. Now, when you start looking at the list though, when you look at like Team USA, who's playing good and who isn't, you know, I mean, you go down the list. I mean, Kepka is playing great. Dustin Johnson, great. Justin Thomas, great. Patrick Reed, eh, you know, fair. You know, Bubba Watson, I don't know where he's been. Jordan Spieth, don't know where he's been. Ricky Fowler's been playing good. Webb Simpson's been playing good. Phil is the ultimate mystery. I mean, he hasn't played good for a while. I mean, really, when we look at it. Um, but you know what? Look what he did. He wasn't playing good coming into the last Ryder Cup, and he shot 63 in the final round against, um, who was it? Or, uh, um, who was it? Sergio. And, um, and then you look at, you know, Tiger's playing awesome. I mean, he's gonna, he's gonna be a factor. Bryson DeChambeau is playing great. And Tony Finau, he's playing great. Now, if you look at the European team, Justin Rose playing great. Roy McElroy, I'd say good. I know I'm thinking to say great. Francesco Molinari, great. Tommy Fleet was playing great. John Robb's playing great. Alex Norris is playing good. Uh, Terrell Haddon's playing good. Paul Casey, not so much. Hendrick Stenson, where the heck has he been? Ian Polder, I, you know, I mean, yeah, he had some success this year, but that's a little bit of a question mark. Sergio has been a serious question mark, and Thurborg Olsen has been a question mark for me. So when I look at it, I think the, I think the United States of America, if we can pay, pair them correctly, I think we trounce them. Uh, that being said, you know, I'm sure we'll see, you know, uh, Sergio and Rom together, put the Spaniards together and, and, you know, uh, Stenson and Polder, you know, we'll, we'll probably see some of that stuff. And, uh, but it'll be interesting to see the pairings and, and how I, boy, I'd love some dream pairings though, too. Could you imagine, <laughs> could you imagine Tiger Polder or DJ Justin Rose, <laughs> Phil and Garcia again, Reed and Rory, you know, Kepka, Molinari, like the major champion guys. I mean, if I had to do this and I was a TV guy, I'd say, guys, these are the five I want. Period. <laughs> These have to be played because everyone wants to watch it. The, ra- the needle will go through the roof. Oh. <laughs> so, but to that end, Eric, right? Based on what we just saw on Sunday, if you're Furyk, would you match Tiger up against Rory because you saw how how Rory melted? You figure you take that away, or do you go back to the Patrick Reed Rory one because it was such great drama two years ago? Man, it was such an epic duel last. You know, last time. I mean. I think the world will. I bet you, Rory, I bet you deep down, Rory's like, please give me this kid again, because there's no way he can do that again. Um, but I don't know. I mean, you know, Patrick Reed's been playing, I'd say he's been playing good. I'd say fair. I don't think he's been playing great. You know, I, I would love to, I just personally, I'd love to see Tiger and Polder, because I'd just love to see someone get right back up in his face and say, oh, really? <laughs> Is that what you want? Okay, uh, I, I would really love, I would personally love to see that. And then if he didn't beat him on the golf course, we'd have like a cage match afterwards, you know, have a re- re- WrestleMania or something. But, and, and then we know Tiger would win that. But, uh, so I'm sorry, Chris, I went off there, but, but I'd love to see it. I, and I, but I think, I think whoever he kind of plays against, especially in the singles, will probably, eh, you know, maybe tail off a little bit. That'd be my guess. 
So something else you mentioned a moment ago, Eric, is, is should we have any concern on the U.S. side when you see, you know, Phil and Bubba, Patrick Reed, you were just talking about, oh. even Brooks Kepka, all finished at the bottom of the leaderboard at the Tour Championship. But goodness knows, Phil and Bubba were a combined 23 over par. I'm hoping they were working on different shots because they were so far out of it that they were just practicing for, for this event. But any concern about those guys coming into this thing, having finished at the, you know, in, in the last four spots for championship? I have no concern about Kepka. Um, I honestly, my, the biggest concern I would have would be Bubba. I mean, we, you know, I mean, he's just, um, he's just hard to figure out. I mean, you know, he'll play great and then you don't hear from him for months. And, and, uh, you know, I mean, when you watch his putting, it looks really, really nervy. And, uh, so I don't know. I mean, that's what Phil has the most flair for dramatics of anybody I think I've ever seen in my life. I don't worry about him. I think the bigger the stage, the bigger he plays, the bigger he is, and the more he just shows up. Um, you know, I think, you know, didn't play a good first round and I think he, you know, maybe phoned it in a little bit, like just, you know, just, and I hope he's out there getting reps and doing whatever, but, and I hope he finds it, but I really think he will. I mean, uh, you know, you look at Jordan Spieth, um, he's a, he's a hair of a question mark for me. And, and I'll tell you why, uh, when you look at the year he had a couple of years ago and, and he really hasn't played that great this year. And I think we'd all agree with that compared to the last couple of years. And I think that he had like the Tiger Woods moment with, um, you know, with, with Dustin Johnson when they're playing on that playoff and Rory had to go up the middle. DJ knocked it over that lake and had a sandwich in. Rory had a six iron in. The game's over. You know, and I think he realized that. And when you watch his putting right now, his putting is not that good. And we would all, I think we'd all agree with that. His putting is not where it needs to be. And I think that's because, you know, from a personal standpoint, I think he feels like he has to putt great because he can out ball strike uh, Kepka or Johnson. Uh, maybe a Justin Thomas for that matter. Uh, you know, he just can't out, he can't out ball strike him. Um, uh, you know, and when you see somebody that's that dominant and not afraid to hit at 330 over a lake and they cut off this and you gotta go that way, that's a little bit of a humble pie sensation there. That's not, that's a little unnerving. And I personally think that's what's happened to him a little bit. So, you know, if you get him with the right pairing, I think he's gonna do pretty well. Uh, but you know, if he if he gets against some of these bombers, I don't I don't think he'll he'll do, you know, all that well. Maybe in the single, but that's my take on that. Yeah. So I mean, just the, let me expand on that just for a second. So yeah, we have seen Jordan in, in you know unJordan like right with putting. All of a sudden, you know, he went from being one of the best putters in the world and a guy that was making everything from twenty five feet to a guy who's missing stuff inside a two. So do you think yeah. it's a lack of confidence? It's all of a sudden now I'm putting too much pressure on my putting because I can't I can't hang with these guys otherwise? Is that what it is? That's what I personally think. You know, Chris, I've I've seen him live. I've you know saw him at Oakmont and and uh, when I was there for you know 13 years and and saw him at the last uh, you know Open and I mean he hits it good. Don't 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 mistake that. I mean he hits it good, but it's not. It's not Kepka long. It's not Dustin Johnson long. I mean, I don't even think it's Justin Thomas long. I mean, Justin can really bomb it for a little guy. It's not Bubba Watson long. 
Uh, Ricky hits it hard. You know, uh, Phil can still dig deep. I mean, Tiger had one of the fastest clubhead speeds on the tour this year. Um, so when you, uh, when you, when you, when you look at that stuff and you're playing against these guys and you measure yourself against your competitors and, and I know we shouldn't, but we all are guilty of it. We look and say, well, what's this guy doing? What's this guy doing? And well, if some guy's hitting at 30, 40 yards by you, well, that really sends a little chill up your spine. And that probably puts the most pressure on the best thing that you do. Like he has putted it, especially two years ago, and put it like no one we've ever saw, and made everything. And now it's like he's like, I gotta make these. And he looks, and I've always said this too. And if you go back on your shows, I've always said this. He always looks a little bit too jumpy to me. He's, you know, for such a great player, mm-hmm. Tiger never, ever, ever looked like that. You know, I mean, goes back to the the 2006 Canadian Open, a first professional win. I mean. Commentators like, oh, it looks like he's laying up. Wait, he's got an iron. Oh, he's going at it. Wow, he hit a six iron, two hundred eighteen yards over a lake, out of a bunker. Now, no one would do that, and he didn't even flinch. He got all that, you know, and hit it. Where you see Jordan is just very jumpy. He's like always getting the towel. He's always wiping on something off. He's always like, okay. How far was it? He just doesn't look like a player that's calm. And you know, when I think you play against a player that looks very calm. And you see someone that's not, you know, you're like a shark. There's blood in the water. You know it. And I think that's my personal take on that. I'm sure some people have their other opinions, but that's mine. And I, and I really stand by that too. I really feel like he's, he's just, he's just not as confident as we've seen him in the past. Yeah, and I and I agree a hundred percent with that, Eric. I, I feel yep. the same yep. way, especially when you see him like at the Open Championship uh, last year, and you know the shot on thirteen and stuff like that. Sometimes I think the pressure gets to Jordan a little bit, and then he needs something positive to get himself going. And uh, and it obviously came through, but uh, yeah, I'm, I get concerned about him in uh, in final rounds. Eric, yeah, and it, you know what? Me. And I love I love him to death too. I, and I wish him all Same. the best. Please don't misunderstand that either. I just it's just an observation. Just a couple more before we let you go, Eric. A couple quick ones. Yep. One, we've got your fellow former assistant pro from uh, Oakmont joining me later mm-hmm. on the show, Paul Rame, and uh, wanted to get your uh, your favorite Paul Rame story. <laughs> He's got too many on me. I can't give you my favorite one, Chris. But it has to do with his bachelor party, which was an embarrassment. But I, I will say I, that's all I'm gonna say. I'm gonna. I promise I won't say another word because he's got way too many on me. He's a piece of garbage. No, I'm just kidding, Paul. I love him to death. He, uh, we worked as a. He was the first assistant at Oakmont when I was, an, you know, an up and comer, and uh, and uh, beat me up pretty good back there. So you tell him I still have a little scars from the. All the jockey marks that he hit me with, but but uh, you tell him that too. I hope he's all right. That will. But I tell him I got to get a quick thought on our Steelers before we let you go. Finally got off the side last night, though was was unimpressive as as always with the defense. What are your thoughts? Well, when we're tied with the Browns, I have serious doubts. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, come on, what happened, Le'Veon Bell? I mean. Antonio Brown's acting like a schoolgirl. I, you know, I mean, Ben looks like he can't hold on to it. I, oh my goodness gracious, Lord help us all. I don't know. I'm, I mean, I, you know, we live and die by the Steelers. And, you know, when you're from yes. Pittsburgh, you're a, 
it's you know that you know the deal. You read for the the Pirates and the Pens, and you know, I mean, and and man, I I thought coming into this year we're Super Bowl contenders, and yeah. and I really legit thought that. And the way we started, I mean, I, I hate to borrow Johnny Miller's thing. I, I'd be, I think we'd be lucky if we won the Hershey Bar Open right now. I mean, it's just, <laughs> it's just crazy. I don't know. I mean, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a little sad with the, the lack of discipline, you know, and I, I hate to say it, Chris. I, I almost wonder if we're like a regular season team, you know, where we want to be, you know, great and win in playoffs, but then, you know, we just lose in the playoffs, you know, and, and we're a great team, and we got some great talent. Now you just uh, maybe I'm a little disappointed at some of the discipline, and I I don't I don't know if I blame Tomlin on that, but I, maybe I do a little bit. But I think yeah. with all that talent, we should be just a little bit more. Uh, you know, well, we don't see that with Bill Belichick, right? I mean, at the end that's of the day, right. he's probably the best coach that's ever coached. So, Eric, know. before we let you go, let our listeners know. Remind them again about your <clears> website, <throat> ericjohnsongolf.com, which is fantastic. And, <clears throat> and if someday we'll ever see you out on social media. Okay, so listen, I got an Instagram thing now. I've got like 119 followers, and I'm all pumped up about that. My assistant Patrick <laughs> Kane's been all over me, like you got to do Instagram. So I'm doing it, Eric Johnson Golf, ericjohnsongolf.com. Check us out on nemacolon.com. It's a phenomenal resort. The Hardy family's built something incredibly special here. And uh, I'm in Golf Magazine this month. Uh, quick tip on, um, you know, square in the face to join alignment. Next next month I'm in there doing uh, bunker shot, high bunker shot. So take a peek. Let me know what you think. And, uh, Chris, I can't thank you enough for having me, buddy. Eric, you're a, you're a special guy, and I appreciate you very much. You've been a, a great friend of the show and a great friend to me, and I can't thank you for all the things that you've done for me. So I appreciate your time again tonight. Look forward to catching up with you again real soon. No worries. Hey, by the way, you didn't come up this summer, and I'm, I'm mad. Where yeah, were you? Yeah, you know what? I should have done it, and, uh, and my apologies <laughs> will make it happen. All right. All right, buddy. Well, you're on the hook now. All right. Fair enough. You got me. Thanks, buddy. All right. See you, man. Bye-bye. That's Eric Johnson, and they don't come better, folks. EricJohnsonGolf.com, and hopefully we'll get him out there on social media. And looking forward to catching up with him again real soon. I always have so much fun when Eric's a part of the show. He's, he's just one of the great people you get to meet in this life. All right, before I get to my next guest, Rob Strano, I want to give a shout-out to a couple of our sponsors. First, I got to tell you about the new weapon I have in my golf bag. Last several months, I've been playing with the new M4 driver from TaylorMade Golf. And if you haven't tried their twist-based technology, you're missing out. I don't know about you, but I don't hit it in the center of the face every single time. After studying hundreds of thousands of swings from pros and amateurs like us, TaylorMade designed their new drivers to help protect us from our mishits and give us straighter distance. So whether your mishit is on the low heel or the high toe, Twist Face helps bring the ball back to center, keeping the distance that we want and finding the fairway more often. I'm hitting more fairways than I ever have, and their new drivers are the choices of pretty good golfers you might recognize. Twist Face is played by Tiger Woods. Rory McIlroy, Dustin Johnson, Jason Day, John Rahm, and Justin Rose, to just name a few, and they're dominating the top 10 out on tour. So if you haven't tried Twistface, go hit it and get fit. It's in the new M3 and M4 drivers and only from TaylorMade. I also want to give a shout-out to our friends at Superspeed Golf. Now used by over half the tour players in the world, Superspeed Golf is the fastest and most effective way to increase your swing speed. Three eight-minute training sessions per week are all you need to add 5% to your swing speed. With sets for golfers of all ages and over one year of included video instruction as well. Superspeed offers a complete solution to help you start bombing it off the tee. 
Visit them online at superspeedgolf.com to pick up your set today. And folks, this segment of the show is sponsored by our friends over at the PGA Tour Superstore. This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at PGATourSuperstore.com. Now back to Chris and more of the show. And now back with me here on the French Lick Resort guest line is Rob Strano. Let me remind you about Rob's background. He is from St. Louis, Missouri. Grew up playing at the same country club as PGA Tour pros Bob Goby, Jay and Jerry Haas, and Frank Connor. Played his college golf at Centenary College. He played on the PGA Nationwide and Hooters NGA Tours for 15 years and won five times. He's now one of the top instructors in the game. He's the only top instructor teaching the game to deaf children. You've probably seen Rob on the, on the Golf Academy over on the Golf Channel. His Strano Golf Academy is located at Kelly Plantation in Destin, Florida, and I am honored he is back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Rob, how are you, my friend? I'm doing great, Chris. Good to be with you. And is there anything to talk about in golf right now? Is, is there anything <laughs> I was just going to say, you know, Rob, the, it's been a pretty weekend, boring week. Not up. much happened. I don't know about what we'll talk about. I don't know. What do you think? I mean, the biggest story in sports happened this past Sunday for the entire year. Nothing will top what happened on Sunday and the rest of the year, and we got the Ryder Cup coming up. It, it was just an amazing thing to watch. And what's interesting is, on Tuesday and Wednesday, I was actually in Atlanta there, hosting one of my clinics with the deaf kids from the Atlanta School for the Deaf. And Tuesday, there's no spectators looking a lot of East Lake. And I went out and was doing my sight walkthrough for the, uh, the event on Wednesday with the kids. And I ran into Tiger and Bryson and Tony playing a practice round. They were coming up 14 and as I was getting up to 15 there where they had the big bleachers behind the green where I put the kids to watch a little bit of the practice round. And so I got to walk in the last four holes with those guys, just me and a couple guys from the media, and, and just kind of up close and personal and just kind of watch Tiger's move. And, you know, to, to kind of echo what Eric said before me, well, I tell you what, his swing looks good. It looks solid. It doesn't look like it's going to break his body right now. And, you know, he put it together for four days at Eastlake on a very, very hard golf course. When I was there, the greens were firm, fast, the rough was deep. And as you saw by some of the scores, it, it wasn't playing easy. So it was kind of a little bit of the, the Tiger of old we saw. And um, it was exciting to watch. I mean, the, the crowd closing in on them on the, on the last hole. I mean, it gave you goosebumps to see everybody that excited. Uh, it just was great for the game and just fun to watch. But, you know, we're talking about the Ryder Cup coming up. You're going to see Bryson and Tiger, 100%. Guarantee you. I, I've been on a tour a couple of times this year, and they play every practice round together. Every practice round that I've been out there that I've seen Tiger, he's with Bryson. So that, I think there's a comfort level there. I think they get along well, and that's what Tiger needs. He, I got to ask my golf channel to uh, make up some predictions for the Ryder Cup, and I, I said. 14-14 tie. It's going to be close for all three days. And they said MVPs are both teams. And I said Tiger Woods because he got to sit by at Hazeltine and watch the team win. And don't don't think that one of the smartest guys ever played golf didn't make some mental notes on this team just won without me. What do they got going on that the teams I've been on and we've gotten beat had? I think he's going to come up with a new attitude a new game, and he's going to have a lot more fun and play loose. 
I think he's going to dominate. He may, he may win every match this week, so I think he can have, he's going to invert that, that losing record he's got. And, um, on the European side, Justin Rose is going to continue his great play and is going to continue to prove why he's world number one. So Rob, and I was talking about this with Eric a bit as well, to your point about playing with Tiger, 9-16 and 1 in four ball and, uh, you know, in foursomes. So when, you, if you stick a guy like Bryson with him, again, two very mental guys, you know, great mental approaches, right? Very cerebral, very smart. They know a lot of things about angles and, you know, all of that sort of stuff. Is that a guy that can, you know, I, I my, my thought has been the reason why Tiger struggles in four ball and foursomes is he's never been a really good driver of the golf ball. So, but nobody is better at getting up and down and, you know, hitting it out of rough and all of that sort of stuff than Tiger is. But he's kind con- if he's the guy driving the golf ball, he's putting in his part, his partner in a, in a place that his partner's not good at, though Tiger is. Is this a matchup where if, if, you know, Tiger isn't driving the ball well and he drove it very well at, at, at Eastlake. So maybe he's, you know, figured all of that out. But is that, is that, you know, something that Bryson can deal with? If Tiger puts him in a bad spot, that's not going to get him mentally out of the, you know, out of the game and cost the team. I don't think so. I mean, a lot of times when we analyze these teams, we analyze them from the mentality of what does the average player do? It's, it, it's, that's not the case. These guys are all accomplished players who learn how to deal with mental situations that stress them on the golf course. They learn how to make decisions and make smart decisions and good plays. So it's not like it's an 18 handicapper trying to play the ball from a bad tee shot. No, it's, it's an accomplished tour player, a winner, someone with a high skill level. So it doesn't, it doesn't matter. I mean, to, to whether it's Tiger or Bryson or, or Furyk or, or, you know, making decisions on who's playing with who. These, these guys are all really, really, really good players. And it, it doesn't matter who it is. You know, Phil can be wild. It's not going to affect Justin Thomas if that's his partner. It's still whistle and whistles one off, one off, and Justin or Jordan's got to make a play. So, Rob, uh, one of the things I wanted to get your thoughts on and talking about Tiger Woods, and and I don't know if you saw it out there, PGA.com put a little video out there of Tiger today, and they asked Tiger who should be on the Mount Rushmore of golf, and he said Snead, Jones. Nicholas and me. Is he right? <laughs> well, the question is, are we sticking with four heads? Are we going to go <laughs> six heads or whatever? How many heads are we going to throw on, on the Mount Rushmore of golf? But let's just stick with four since we got four on the, on the main one. So the back side of the mountain, any Mount Rushmore of golf has to, has to have Arnold Palmer on it. If you are the king, you've been called the king. As he was his whole career, he did so much for the game of golf. He's got to be up there. Number one, yes, Mr. Palmer. Um, number two, Bobby Jones. You can't argue that. First player to win the Grand Slam. Absolutely has got to be on golf, not Rushmore. Um, Mr. Nicholas, number three, major championship holder. You know, he's won throughout his career. Great players throughout his life. Absolutely, Nicholas is the third head on there. Now, I'll tell you a funny Nicholas story. This is a great story about Mr. Nicholas. And you mentioned growing up with Bob Goldby. Whenever I'm home, I sit down at lunch with Mr. Goldby, and we just kind of talk off and all kinds of other stuff. And he told me a story. He said, when when Mr. Nicholas was around 22 or 23, they played in the Masters together. 
And in the first round, Mr. Palmer, like 70, was up at the top of the leaderboard. And they were walking to the 15th green and walking along the right side of the lake. And, and a bunch of guys were giving Jack a hard time. And, and Mr. Goldby looked at Mr. Nichols and said, Jack, how can you handle that? He said, I want to go over the ropes. How can you not want to go over the ropes after those guys? And he said, Nicholas looked at him and calmly said, you know what, Bob? One day, they'll all be for me. Wow. How about that? Yeah. For, for a young guy, young guy in the 20s. Great story. I mean, like that guy, yes. I tell that story having heard Mr. Goldby tell me, give me goosebumps. That's someone who's mentally more mature and more stronger than that moment. Because a lot of us would have loved to go after the, over the ropes after Heckler. Or right. He just walked by and said, one day, they're all going to be for me. I mean, what a great wow. line. You're yeah. four ten on Mount Rushmore, though. That's, that's where you get into some interesting thoughts about, um, does it have to be a guy? I mean, what about, you know, Babe Diggerson Zaharian or Nancy Lopez? How about, um, someone like Gary Player, who's a worldwide yes. renowned champion? He's won hundreds of tournaments and has been a great ambassador for the game. And for physical fitness throughout his whole career, and and a, and a very very fine gentleman also. Um, Francis we may bears mentioning. You know, he really brought golf to America by winning that U.S. Open back in the what 1913, I think, something like that. So you've got a couple of names to bat around that that fourth head. You know, Tiger. Sure, we can throw Tiger in there too, but you got you got a little bit of spot. You know, a little bit of wiggle room on some of these spots. But you know, to me. You've got to go with Nicholas Jones and and Mr. Palmer as your first three heads, and then the fourth one. Um, you know, we we may have to roll dice or something for that one. Rob is is probably one of the best putting instructors on the planet. I want to get your thoughts on Jordan Spieth. You know, Jordan he didn't make the field for the Tour Championship. We've seen him go from just as good as anybody from twenty five feet in to a guy who struggles now inside of two feet. What what are you seeing from Jordan? As Eric was talking about earlier in the show, that maybe the rest of his game is putting so much pressure on his putting that it's sort of getting to him uh, in that respect. But what are you seeing from Jordan? And is there something that he can do to you know get back to where he was? Well, you know, putting is one of those things where it's easy to get in a hot streak. And I always tell my players this, and even my tour players that come work with me, or a new tour player, I always say, why is putting the easiest thing, easiest part of your game to change? And it's a real simple answer. If I change something with your driver, Chris, give you a different driver, or change your ball position, well, all of a sudden, Mr. Jones's backyard over there is, is in play. You know, his, his pool, his windows, all of a sudden, those, you know, you might whistle one in someone's backyard. But when it comes to putting, if I give you something that makes more putts, Right away. Well, you're able to run with that and take it to course and I can't wait to get it out there because and it's a small maneuver. It's not a big action. It doesn't require a lot of speed. And the easy answer is I've never lost a ball in the putting green. I've never hit a putt out of bounds. I've never putted it into a hazard. I've never incurred a penalty on the putting green. So if if I give you something that makes more putts, you ought to immediately be able to grab it and run with it and go make more putts on the golf course. And 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 Jordan, the thing with him is, and I haven't I haven't studied his action up close this year. I haven't touched if I've run into him this year because he wasn't at the Tour Championship. Um, 
trying to think of the players. I, I did see him putting at the players, and his putting stroke looked good there. He was making putts, and, and a lot of times, there's, there's some things that go into putting other than mechanics. Is your speed good? Are you making good reads on green? Those things can start to weigh on you where you're hitting a lot of edges. You're thinking, oh, man, I'm hitting edges. i got to do something a little better. Well, no, you're just off by the width of a hair. Keep doing what you're doing, and those will fall. So there could be a, a, a more to the mental side of it with Jordan than there is the mechanics side. I would leave the mechanics side to to his coach, Colin, uh, um, not, Colin, uh, not Colin McCormick, um, um, Cameron McCormick, to, to comment on what they're working on mechanics-wise. But, um, you know, hopefully they got it figured out for the, uh, the Ryder Cup this week because the Ryder Cup, everybody hits it good. It's just who makes putts. And back to Hazeltine, you know, we just made more putts, whether it was Patrick Reed or Mickelson making all those putts and Sergio uh, on Sunday in his match. Everybody putted well at Hazeltine. And, and that's what it boils down to is, is who, who flips one out of a bunker who chips one in unexpectedly, and who drops a couple extra 30-footers in a match, that really, really determines the outcome because they all hit it well. Rob, just a couple more before we let you go. And and there's a great video of you with Michael Bree talking about confidence on the green. Talk about the negative talk that we say to ourselves on the practice <laughs> green and, and, and what we need to do to change that. Gotcha. Well, I had fun doing that segment with, with Michael. And, and um, we talked about how we hear players say the same thing, and, they, and a negative and a positive can't equal the same thing. So I'll be working with the player on the putting green. I'll hear some guys warming up, and one guy will be making everything. And I'll look at his, his playing partners and go, well, I'm leaving them all here. I'm not going to make them on the court. And then another guy will be missing everything. He'll go, oh, not going to make anything on the court. I'm not making anything here. Well, wait a second. Makes and misses can't equal the same thing. And so, like I just said, when you see putts going in, you ought to be jazzed about getting out there on the green and going, I can't wait to get, the, get on the course and play. And it's kind of funny. I actually played today. I had one of my tour players in get me from Q school and we get out there earlier today and I got, uh, I got 14 holes with him in and on the back nine, I one putted six out of nine greens and just was rolling it in from, from all of the strokes felt good. I was seeing the lines and making putts and, I just couldn't wait to hit the next putt. And I one putted, um, 11, one putted 12, uh, this one, 12, one putted 11 and 13 and 14. I mean, just, you know, when you get it going, you get it going. It's just a matter of the mindset. And, you know, once you've trained mechanics and line and speed, then, then it's believing you should make everything. And we get in the mindset of just trying to get it close. And that's the same as if I said to you, Chris, here's a, here's a dart. I want you to throw that dart for it. I want you to hit the bullseye. Well, you're going to hit the bullseye by just trying to randomly throw the, the dart at the dartboard? No, you're going to try to hit the bullseye. Same thing as putting. Some of my players, let's hit the bullseye every time. And if we just miss the bullseye, well, we're going to be in a, a manageable area to two putts from. But if we're just trying to get it close, well, now if we, if we're, if we figure close is two feet, three feet, and we miss that little bullseye by a foot, now we're four feet. If we miss it by two feet, we're five feet. Now we're getting unmanageable on the green. So I tell my players, Hit the bullseye every single time. And, and, and it's the object of the game regardless. The object of the game is to hold the ball. I'm not, there's no point or deduction for getting it close. I'm trying to knock it in all, you know, every chance I get on the green. 
Rob, before we let you go, remind our listeners about all the great stuff that they can find on your website and how they can stay up to date with what you're doing on social media. Well, if you go to strandlegolf.com, there's a lot of videos for Golf Channel there, and I believe the breed segment is there. It's a fun segment on putting we did, and uh, we talk about um, the mechanics of putting. We talk about um, the mental side of putting. We kind of we kind of brush across across all things there. There's a couple other great clips. I'm, I'm known as the pop culture coach, so you'll see some fun pop culture, whether I'm singing, dancing. We do, you know, Paige McKenzie and I did Gangnam Style and Bunker on Golf Channel. Um, I've done um, the Carlton in the Bunker, which is from the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. I sang. We've done Top Gun, Caddyshack. There's a lot of fun videos I've got there over or over at Golf Channel uh, Archive there. Uh, social media, Strano Golf at Instagram, Twitter and Straddle Golf Academy at Facebook. A lot of great content, a lot of great stuff from the Tour Championship last week. I've got some great video from, from Tiger that day. I followed him up close, hitting bunker shots, and um, some great video of Rory and Tommy Fleetwood. But uh, a, a lot of good places to find me on social media. I always joke with everybody, I can't hide. I'm everywhere on the Internet. If you just Google my name, you'll find my website, my social media, every other place that. Um, there's a reference to me out there. And if you're interested in what I do with the deaf kids, uh, ASL, which stands for American Sign Language, ASL Golf on Facebook. We've got a bunch of pictures and video there of the uh, the kids in camps. And when I have a tour player do a clinic for me, the interesting thing is the kids started this right away. One of the first players to do a clinic for me, the kids asked the player, can you hit one like Happy Gilmore? And he said, I don't know. I've never tried. So I've got video on there of all kinds of tour players trying to hit the Happy Gilmore shot, including a couple of them <laughs> almost hitting me with tanks with the driver. So there's some fun video of tour players there trying to go full Happy Gilmore and uh, lots of fun stuff with those kids. It's a, it's a labor of love to be able to bring the game of golf to kids who simply can't hear it but a talented athlete still, nonetheless. Rob, you're fantastic. There's no other way to put it. Always so much fun getting to spend some time with you. I always look forward to this segment. I hope you'll be back soon share more of your stories and your insights with us. Uh, always a lot of fun when you're a part of the show. Well, it's always great to be on your fantastic show. Thank you for calling me fantastic. But Chris Mascaro is a fantastic guy, fantastic show. Always enjoy being on anytime you ask me, my friend. Take care, Rob. All the best to you and your family. Look forward to catching up with you again soon. Thanks, Chris. Have a good one. All right. You too, Rob. Take care. That's a great Rob Strano, and Strano is spelled S-T-R-A-N-O. So Strano Golf is where you'll find him online. And, a uh, you know, I got a twofer right there because uh, two of the greatest people that I've had an opportunity to spend a great deal of time with, both Rob Strano and, and Eric Johnson, back-to-back on this show. It's uh, It's been a great night so far. Looking forward to catching up here with Rob soon. And then I've got my next guest, Paul Rame, hanging on the line. and to get to Paul right on the other side of this quick station break. You're listening to Next on the Tee, heard around the world on great sites like TuneIn and Podbean. Hear your favorite PGA and LPGA legends, pros and top instructors sharing their stories, insights and tips to lower your scores every week here on Next on the Tee. Now, back to you, Chris. And now joining me here on the French Lick Resort guest line is Paul Rame. Let me give you some background on Paul. Played his college golf at Seton Hall. Became a Class A certified PGA professional back in 1996. In 2013, he was named the Horton Smith Award winner for his dedication to education. 
Golf Digest has ranked him among the top instructors in the state of Connecticut. Paul has been an assistant golf professional at the Park Country Club in Williamsville, New York, Canoe Brook Country Club in Summit, New Jersey, and Oakmont Country Club. He was one of the inaugural instructors at the Golf Channel's Golf Academy. In 2016, uh, Connecticut PGA Section Teacher of the Year, Golf Digest ranked him one of the top three instructors recently in the state of Connecticut. And since 2003, he has been the director of golf and club manager at Bulls Bridge Golf Club up in Kent, uh, Kent, Connecticut, which is in the western part of the state, almost at the border of New York. And I am honored he is with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Good evening, Paul. Thanks for coming on the show. Hey, good evening, Chris. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. That's so, Paul, with uh, all of Eric, my first-time guests, I, I'd like to start out by learning, you know, where you learned to play golf first. Who was the first person to put a golf club in your hands? Uh, well, um, my father was a tennis player, so it was kind of, uh, you know, watching tennis balls was by my head as a kid, but there was a, I, I, my parents bought a house right next to Fairmont Country Club in Chatham, New Jersey, and there was a a golf pro over there by the name of Kevin Riley and Ralph Romano, who, um, basically I would sneak out every night and and they kind of cut some clubs down for me and, and, and gave me four clubs when I was about 11 years old and, and. Gave me a job a couple summers later, and, and that's kind of how I got started with the game of golf. Back in the late 70s, people were playing tennis, and there was nobody on these four holes behind my house. And, and those two guys gave me some clubs, and, that, and that's kind of how I got started in the game. So how did you go from there to playing your college golf at Seton Hall? Well, back then, high school golf mattered. Uh, we had a really good high school golf team in Chatham, New Jersey, and uh, we were 87 and one my four years in high school. Now these kids got the AJGA tour and high school golf was really kind of spring training for them for their summer seasons. And, uh, you know, send some back then, you know, you didn't have your own Twitter account. I had to send a VHS tape and, and clippings from the newspapers, uh, in, in New Jersey to all the golf coaches and a guy by the name of Howie Rupert came to the house and signed a letter of agreement and went to Seton Hall and, and played golf for, for, for the, my college career. And, and Paul, now your son Hunter, who looks like he's a tremendous player in his own right, has sort of followed your footsteps and is playing his college golf at Seton Hall. Talk about your son Hunter's game. Yeah, well, he's, he's having the freshman blues right now. He had a, he had a real good junior career and we've stayed, I've stayed close with the team. I actually coach a couple of the kids on the team currently there and, and they play in the uh, University of Hartford event every September up at our house. We always have them over for dinner. So we've stayed close with the program and, and Hunter, had the opportunity to uh, go play for them. He'd always had his heart set on Division One golf. And, you know, they're about 150th in the country, not bad for a, a team up in the Northeast. And, um, you know, they gave him an opportunity. And, and you know, he's had uh, a little bit of success in his first event, but, uh, you know, finding out what being a freshman in, in Division One sports is all about, trying to balance academics and time and, and, and now golf. So, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm expecting big things from him. He flies at about 320. He's just a great... Wow. Great kid with a great career ahead of him. So, Paul, curious, is do you have more anxiety when you're playing in a golf event or one of your students is playing in a golf event or when you're watching Hunter play in a tournament? What's more stressful? I, I can't watch. I, I, <laughs> it's not even close. I can't watch my kids play golf. It, it is nerve-wracking. Um, we have three boys, so typically my wife and I are n- never at the same golf event Um and we're texting each other back and forth, how they doing? You know, what, what, you know, par, birdie, bogey, par, birdie, bogey, you know, and it's, it, it, 
the anxiety is amazing. Um, I find it infinitely easier to play golf, you know, myself or watch somebody else who's not, not my, my son play golf, but you just want to, you have no control. I mean, you know, you want to reach out to somebody that's played this game and, 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 you know, you've got, I've got a lifetime of experience and failures and learning from them. And, and they've, you've got to let them, you know, fail a little bit on their own and go through it and, and learn, you know, learn to make those mistakes and then come back smarter. So Paul, switching gears a little bit. And, uh, as you know, I had Eric Johnson on the show earlier yeah. and, and I love Ian. He's a great guest and been a great friend over the years. And I know you guys were assistants together at Oakmont for a little while. So he told me his favorite Paul Ramey story. What's your favorite Eric Johnson story? Uh, well, you know, Eric was never the fastest golfer. Um, so <laughs> we're standing. Eric slow. Uh, Eric is, Eric is, Eric is, I didn't say slow, he's he's never the fastest golfer. So we had this really nice trip over to Scotland probably 10 years ago. And, um, we got to play the old course. We're in the same group, about eight golf pros. We're in the same group, um, uh, at the old course. And Eric just in first fairway and he gets out there and he's got to pitch it over the burn, you know, onto that green, which sits right on the other side of that burn. And, and Chris, if he didn't back off five times, he didn't back. I mean, he, he probably backed off closer to 10 or 12 times. And <laughs> I mean, just back, you know, and then he's got all, you know, he's almost like Nomar Garcia Parra when he's putting the batting gloves on oh and, you know, gripping the, re-gripping the bat. And he's got all these, you know, quirks and, you know, he's going back and forth and he's re-gripping it. And, and, and finally he hits this thing onto the green. And, you know, I looked at him. I said, you're like the human, you're like a human rain delay. <laughs> and you know we just kind of chuckled about it, but uh, that's that's one of the more PG PG stories I can tell about EJ. So, uh, but we had two great years together at, at Oakmont. He he came from uh, Mississippi State, where he played in the PGM program there, and I'm so happy for the success he's had. You know, on the teaching side, he's such a such a great friend and, and great golf professional. Any insight into what he said about me, or, or do I have to? Oh, he told about your bachelor party. Uh, no. geez, that's not. <laughs> Shouldn't be aired. <laughs> All right. Well, that's you'll fine. be fine. I'm sure your wife won't mind. I won't know. mind this story. She'll probably <laughs> she, never. She knows. I, 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 <laughs> so, but yeah, that was a long time ago. So, Paul, from Pittsburgh, and you know, most of our dreams, you know, for for people, you know, just golfers in general, but certainly for those of us from in and around Pittsburgh, is playing at Oakmont one day, and I like I say, you you were there for some years, so. Talk about talk about playing at the course at Oakmont. What's it like being there every day? Well, playing the golf course. I mean, not to disparage other golf courses. First time I sh- I came from New Jersey, I came to Oakmont. First time I played, I shot ninety one. Um, you know, the first time I played other great championship golf courses. I played first time I played like like Oak Hill. I, I shot like seventy three. So I mean, it, Oakmont, and, and and this goes back to some of the quotes and some of the videos that that they had made. Oakmont could host a national championship just about any day um, of the year. That's how good it is every day. I remember we had a, just a two-day tour event, and we had 29 of the top 30 money winners come. It was for Family House, which is a, a charity for battered women in Pittsburgh. And we didn't do anything really to the golf course. And, and Furyk won it, and he shot four under for two days. That just tells you how hard Oakmont was in uh, every day. And then, you know, the, I mean, the, the, the membership at Oakmont, is, you know, second to none. It's a great cast of characters. My staff at, at Bulls Bridge is so tired of hearing me tell stories about the members at Oakmont. And then, you know, the ability to work for Bob Ford, you know, legendary 
you know, legendary golf professor. I always told people it was like going to Harvard Business School. Um, you just were getting an education that you didn't really even know you were getting just by keeping your eyes open and, and watching. You learn something every day. I mean, when, when I was there, Bob had won. He had just won National Merchandiser of the Year. And Rick Martino won, you know, National Teacher of the Year. In, in a three-year span, we had two national, you know, national award winners in the you know, PGA scene. So that was pretty cool. And Paul, truth or myth that the Greens run faster during member play than they do during the U.S. Open? Um, I would say pretty, pretty true. I'll, I'll never forget showing up to the 07 Open and I, I, we came up and we got behind the 12th green and, and some guy's hitting a seven iron in or something. It's par five down the hill, hitting a seven iron in. And, and the thing lands on a down slope and backs up the hill. I mean, it's and it, right away you can tell that the USJ had slowed it down, put water down. Because that ball, normally for the members, would have ran into the back over the green in the rough, and you'd have a you know, nasty pitch back up the hill. So, you know, I was never there for an for an open. I came the year after the ninety ninety four open, but you know, our those members at Oakmont loved it tough. It couldn't get tough enough. So, I would have to say the truth. So you, you say that, you, that the membership where you're at now gets tired of you hearing, you know, telling stories. But so, what's your favorite story from your time at Oakmont? Well, outside of my bachelor party, um, <laughs> there was a <laughs> we had a we had a a member who who his nickname was the Phantom, and he was we called him the Phantom because he was missing his right thumb. So, you know, you'd, you'd make a putt. They had a legend, this legendary game at Oakmont called the SWAT where you'd sign up and you'd, you'd play in foursomes, uh, gross against every other team in the field. You could have seven, eight teams in the field, $5 NAFTA. So you're making, you know, you're not making a whole lot of money as an assistant back then. And you, know, you could lose 150 bucks on a Saturday and have to go home and tell your wife that you can't go out to dinner that night like you promised her. So you better start hitting <laughs> balls and getting better. But, you know, so we had this guy called the the Phantom, right? So, and, and he was missing a right thumb, and it was amazing to watch him try and grip that that hand that club with the right hand because you have to keep turning the the right hand over because the thumb wasn't on there to to, to hold to support the club. So we come to the 18th green and or 18th fair or 18th tee box, and this is before you know all the trees have been cut down. So there's still some pine trees, and you know to the left of the of the 18th tee box. So the Phantom. He kind of hits this squirrely shot all over towards the driving range off of 18 T, and he whips his club up in the up in the trees to the left uh, of the tee box. So he says to this guy, he says, "Bobby, get up there and get." And I swear to God, if I didn't see this, I wouldn't believe it. He says, "Bobby, get up there and get that that driver out of the tree." And you know, all the members' clubs at, at Oakmont have, and most clubs have name labels on it. So, so Bobby shimmies up the tree, rattling the tree, and this this club falls down and. Bobby comes back down the tree. He goes, here you go, Phantom. Here's your driver. And he says, uh, he says, Bobby, that's the wrong driver. That's the one I threw up there last week. <laughs> so just, I mean, just great stories like that. You know, he was, uh, he'd, he'd always say to you, give me, you know, you couldn't give him five. He'd say, give me four. Give me four after you made a putt in the slot. <laughs> that's right. So, so, Paul, let's let's talk a little bit about what's going on around the game of golf right now. And obviously, here we are. It's it's Ryder Cup week. So g- give me your mm-hmm. thoughts. Who wins and why? Uh, you could throw all the stats out. We've just seen two of the the greatest uh, streaks in in sports come to end. The Browns won and Tiger won after long losing streaks. So I, it's been 
it's been, you know, 1993. I didn't even know my wife of, of 23 years now. The last time we went on their soil. So I think, I think, you know, these things happen in sets of three. I, I think it's our time to win on their soil. But, you know, on paper, you know, the first time ever that all top 10, all, all 10 people, top 10 on the, uh, you know, world rankings are all playing in the Ryder Cup. We got six of them. They got four. And, you know, top 25, uh, we own 12, our, 12 of our guys are in the top 25, eight of theirs. So on paper, you know, looks like we should win. You know, greens are going to be slow, might, might benefit them. It's, you know, it's a, more of a stadium type golf course, which I think our guys get to see a little bit more of, uh, you, you know, week in and week out on the PJ tour. But I would say really the only thing that scares me, I mean, I think we win about 16 to 14. I just think our team is, is really strong. The only thing that scares me is if you look at last week for championship and where some of our guys finished, first speed didn't make yeah. it. And then we had four guys all finish, you know, the four last spots in the field. So right. five of our guys, you know, finishing, you know, not one guy not making it, four finishing in. So, you know, that's the only thing that really scares me. Maybe we're not on, a, on form, but, you know, I, I still think, it, you know, it's our time. It's been too long. And, um, you know, I, th- I think it's, you know, ball strikers, golf course. I think our guys are a little bit better tee to green. Uh, and I think the slow greens will kind of offset each other, negate negate any advantage. Paul, I was looking at some of the videos of you and some of the the drills and instruction that you have, and all fantastic yeah. stuff. You've got a great drill about using the wall as a guide for your swing plane. Do you mind sharing that story mm-hmm. or that drill? Yeah, I mean, I see a lot of times people, uh, you know, pull that club too far to the inside. I mean, I I teach up in. Connecticut, as you know, Chris, and, you know, my membership is basically Manhattanites who come up to their second homes uh, on the weekends, and they don't get to touch a golf club a lot. So a lot of the drills that I've developed are things you can do inside and and don't need a golf ball. Um, So, you know, you kind of just stand with your back to the wall, and, you know, too many times I see golf club getting pulled inside behind the person, and then, you know, then they kind of lift it, and then the golf club goes across the line, and they're kind of cooked from there. So... <laughs> you know, if you stand with your back to the wall, you're going to feel how your arms, you know, your your, your body's going to push your arms away and then how that club is going to start to, you know, hinge vertically. And, and if you start hitting the wall, your wife's going to get pretty mad at you but because of all the holes you put in, 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 the, in, the, in the wall and all the paint you chipped there. And Paul, so then it, you know, as one the of arms, the shots those that... arms hinge a little bit. Oops, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, finish your thought. So I just say, then you'll, you'll learn how your learn how your how your body turns and your arms work vertically. So, in the job that they're both supposed to do in the backswing. And another one of your videos, Paul, and it's one of the shots that so many of us struggle with around the greens, and that sort of chunking a chip shot when we're on an uphill lie to a an uphill green that's you know crowned, and you know we'll grab the sand wedge and chunk that, and then the ball ends up rolling all the way back down to our feet. And you've got a great tip out there on GolfChannel.com about how to use a hybrid to pull that shot off. Do you mind sharing that tip as well? No, not at all. I mean, our, at our golf course, we have a lot of elevated greens, and you know, with today's design, you see a lot more chipping areas. So, I mean, I just have seen too many people, as as you said, you know. Get it a little bit behind it. That golf ball gets about two thirds of the way up and rolls right back to their feet. 
So I like to see people use a hybrid more times than not, you know, and, and, and feel like they get a little bit of a, you know, close, you know, closer set of your feet a little bit closer together. And, and really it, then it just becomes just a big chipping motion where you're not using any levers. You're not using your wrists or your elbows and you're really just feeling like your, your shoulders and arms take the club back. And depending on how long the shot is, you know, I typically see the golf club head getting somewhere between, you know, the ankle and the right, you know, the back right knee and then allowing that golf club to, to swing through and you know really catching the ball first that's so, and if you miss it a little bit with that sole on the hybrid you're gonna you know you know skip into the ball a little bit bouncing the ball a little bit where that leading edge and that wedge is going to dig in and you know you got to get comfortable with it it's, it's definitely the first time i introduce it to people that that extra club head mass that golf ball goes flying and they don't like it, and I ask them to stick with it, and I don't try to force shots on people, but, you know, if you stick with it, um, you know, it's the type of thing that can become successful. Then, then like, three weeks later, you know, these people that didn't like that shot, you know, they're teaching it to their friends. So, <laughs> so Paul, to your point, being up there in Connecticut, right? Uh, Wintertime mm-hmm. comes. Not a lot of golf being played, but you've got a wonderful indoor practice facility from what I've seen online, Golf on the Green. Talk about the facility and uh, what people can come in there and do uh, when it's too cold to play. Yeah, well, I was fortunate. You know, I went to the board of directors of my club and asked them if I could do this. Teaching is really my passion. I mean, it's why, you know, playing and teaching is why so many of us got in the game. And we had a local, we had a member, we don't have a lot of members that are local, but we had a guy who he had a very successful career in Manhattan and kind of lives up here full time. He acquired some real estate and, you know, I went to him and, and he gave me a storefront on the oceanfront property right on this, you know, quintessential New England green. And, you know, it's, you know, all the other, you know, popular stores and restaurants, you know, encircling the green. And I built, uh, an indoor training facility, two hitting bays, indoor chipping and putting area. Uh, you know, putting lab area. Um, I've got, you know, track man in there, flight scope, body track, V1, sand putt lab. So, you know, I, I operate from November 1st until March 31st and I go back up to the club. You know, it's really turned into a nice business for me. I, I've, um, worked with a lot of the New England boarding schools and then, you know, teach my members and, and teach, uh, you know, just other people that are, you know, local golfers, a lot of members at other clubs too. So it's really, uh, you know, helped my teaching business. It's really taken off in the last five years. And, uh, so it's been, it's been great. Keeps you busy all winter too. There's some long winters up here in Connecticut, northwest corner of Connecticut. Well, Paul, how can our listeners find out more information about what you're doing? Follow you online and check out your website. So it's paulremay.com. Uh, I've got at paulremay jr on Twitter and then at golf on the green on Instagram. Well, Paul, it's certainly been wonderful having you as part of the show tonight. I love your stories. I hope you'll come back and, and share more and uh, give us more of your insights and your tips uh, another time yeah. because it's been a lot of fun having you on the show. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. I'll come back anytime, Chris. Thanks. I can't believe that the half an hour has flown by that quickly. It's, I know. Awesome. Awesome. It is fantastic. So you're Paul, lucky thanks man. again for your time. You're I look forward lucky, to catching yeah. up with you again soon. In between now and then, all the best to you and your family. Thanks, Chris. You too. Enjoyed it. Take care, Paul. Bye. That's uh, Paul Ramey, and uh, his last name is spelled R-A-M-E-E. 
So be sure to go check him out. Uh, check out his website. Check out, uh, again, I'm telling you that if you're up in that area, golf on the green looks absolutely fantastic. And, uh, you know, uh, as we know on the, on the football side with my co-host Bob Lazari, who lives up in Connecticut as well, you know, it's cold and it's damp and it's rainy and it's gray for a long time up in the wintertime. But if you can go to a great place like his and get into a couple of days and, you know, keep the rust off your swings, you're going to come back in the spring and be fantastic. So check him out, follow him on uh, online and on social media as well. All right, folks, it is time for me to put a bow on this episode of Next on the Team. My sincere thanks again go out to Eric Johnson, Rob Strano, and Paul Ramey for uh, joining me tonight. Folks, please give me your thoughts. Check out our page on Facebook, Next on the Team with Chris Mascara. You can give me you know, comments and all that sort of thing right on there. Please check out our website, nextonthetea.net. On there, you're going to be able to see who some of our future guests are going to be. So if you've got a question for someone who's been on the show or going to be on the show, let me know through our Facebook page. We'll be glad to get the, that question answered for you. Over, like I mentioned a moment ago, our sister show on the football side, Thursday Night Tailgate, with me and my co-host Bob Lazari and our announcer Joe Lajanusa. That show airs live every Thursday night from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time. You can stream it live right here on Blog Talk Radio, and that show like this one, also available as a free podcast over on Podbean. I can't thank those guys enough for featuring us right there on the football side on the in their NFL fan section. This show next on the tee right there in their golf section. And if you're a fan of podcasts across all genres, be sure to go over to uh, podbean.com or download the Podbean app. They've got so many great podcasts, like I say, across all different genres that you're going to love. And we hope that, uh, you know, if you, if you download the uh, Podbean app, you can take us with you everywhere you go. On Thursday Night Tailgate, we are joined every week by five NFL legends who come on and share their stories and their insights into what's going on around the league today. Plus, we highlight two players doing great things in their communities in our Spotlight on the Positive segment. You can find that show online at ThursdayNightTailgate.com. And again, this one, next on the T.net. Folks, again, thank you for choosing to listen to this show tonight. We really appreciate the fact that you're making us part of your golf content. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends. on the tee with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA pros and top instructors and media members go to tell their stories. Join us the same time every Tuesday to hear more stories about the game we love from people who love sharing those stories with you. It's all about the great game of golf. It's all about the great game of golf.